Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. All right. So before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out a few great free resources that I created just for runners. To get them, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or visit www.stephanienachuk.com. If you visit my website, there's a little pop-up box that comes up and it'll prompt you to enter your email address and these guides will be sent right to your inbox. The first guide is my fueling guide for runners. So in this resource, you'll find my top fueling tips for runners, as well as some specific meal ideas for both your pre and post run fuel. If you've been struggling to understand what to eat when to support your running and just figuring out like what those meal ideas, like what those meals look like, what kind of foods you should be including before versus after you run, what the difference is between pre and post run fueling, then this guide is exactly what you need to get you started on the right path. The other guide that I created is my strength training guide for runners. So this guide includes both a PDF resource, has some tips, guidelines, and links to my YouTube series where I actually walk you through all of the exercises in the program. This is a great beginner strength training guide for runners who want an effective but efficient full body workout that helps support the key muscles and movements you need to run stronger and injury free. So once again, both of these guides are available together. I have them put together as a little bundle for you. You can just click on the link in the show notes or go over to www.stephanienatchek.com, enter your email address just the one time, and both of these free guides will get sent to your inbox right away. I hope you enjoy these resources and find them helpful in supporting you and your running. And now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode where we are talking about why you might be seeing some weight gain despite doing all the running. And, you know, I think that this is something a lot of you listening can probably, uh, you know, really understand and, and really resonates with the experience of some runners where it seems like, you know, you get into a race training cycle and you see the number on the scale start to climb alongside it, or there's just, you know, really big fluctuations in your weight, depending on what's happening with your training, what sort of season you happen to be in. And it's really, really interesting to sort of witness what happens out there with, uh, you know, running and, and people's different experiences around how their weight might change or maybe not change at all when they take up running. You know, I see a lot of runners who almost seem to effortlessly see the scale drop when they take up running. So it's like, you know, they're, they're eating a certain way, they're doing a certain amount of exercise, they increase their mileage or their, their training volume. Maybe they take up running for the very first time and it's like, boom, you know, effortlessly we see the scale dropping. Whereas other people, you know, they can kind of rely on the fact that every time they start increasing their mileage and increasing their training volume, they're actually probably going to see the scale climb instead. 
And social media, of course, is full of people that really share these completely different experiences, either frustrations around unwanted weight gain or unwanted weight loss that comes with increasing running mileage. Uh, People who will say, you know, I started running and I thought I was going to see a lot of weight loss and I haven't really seen anything at all. Like, what gives? And then, of course, you know, here come all of the opinions about what's contributing to the differences on the scale that people might see. Either it's a matter of, well, you're running too much or you're running not enough or you should be doing more strength training or the thing is you are doing strength training, so you're building muscle and that's why the scale is going up. Maybe you're eating too much or you're eating too little. Your macros are off. Your meal timing is off. You're doing too much fasted training. You're not doing enough fasted training. And of course, like all things fitness and nutrition and health and and just this whole world that we live in here, there are as many different opinions as there are different experiences. And of course, again, like so many different things, it becomes really confusing and people get frustrated where, you know, someone else had a certain experience that they don't seem to have doing the same things. We're getting different results. What's wrong with me? What am, what am I doing wrong? trying to put all the pieces together to get the outcome that we're looking for. So in today's episode, I'm going to break down some of the different reasons why a runner might see the scale climb during a race training cycle, or, you know, as you start to increase your mileage, maybe even it's just a base building phase and you've kind of been new to taking up running and you're just increasing your mileage and maybe you thought you were going to see some easy weight loss along the way that hasn't happened why a runner might see some weight gain, if and when it might actually be an issue or kind of point to something that is off about our training or our nutrition. And of course, what you can do to make sure that you're optimizing your training and your nutrition strategies to have the best body composition for you. And I want to be really, really clear about the if and when the weight gain might be an issue or a problem. Because something that a lot of people aren't thinking about or or don't realize is that not all weight gain is bad weight gain. Like not all the weight that we gain, not every time the scale goes up, is it indicative of any type of problem. And this is because, you know, there are definitely, definitely going to be small weight fluctuations that we see day to day, you know, hour by hour, et cetera, due to things like hydration our muscle glycogen stores, and even little things like inflammation and a little bit of of like swelling and water retention that we can get in our muscles after we run. And I work with a lot of, of runners who are maybe getting a little bit stressed out or worried about seeing the scale go up by, you know, two or three pounds, maybe the day after a long run or, or something like that. And, you know, they'll tell me, they're like, oh, Steph, like I'm gaining weight. And, oh, okay, you know, when I think about like weight gain, sort of quote unquote, as as a dietitian, I'm thinking like you've gained 10 pounds or, or 15 pounds or something like that. And if someone says, oh, no, you know, I weighed myself yesterday and then I weighed myself today and I'm up, up two pounds, but how could that be possible? Because I did a 10 mile run yesterday. We're like, we're no, we're not worried about that at all. Um, you know, A, that wouldn't, that's not going to be body fat gain right? These small fluctuations are definitely just due to changes in hydration, changes in our muscle glycogen stores, which is how we store energy in our muscles. 
every gram of glycogen is stored alongside a few extra grams of water. And so it's it's a heavy substance that we're definitely going to see a few pounds when we have more muscle glycogen stores. And like I said, that inflammation that we can see post-run. And this is why we really don't want to kind of live and die by the scale with things like these daily weight checks or daily weigh-ins. You know, if you found yourself weighing yourself every single day, weighing yourself multiple times a day, and, you know, really letting the scale influence and dictate how much exercise you do on a daily basis, letting the number on the scale dictate whether or not you eat certain meals, how much you allow yourself to eat on a day-to-day basis. If you're allowing the scale to really influence your mood, your relationship with food and exercise, you know, things like that, then it's really, really worth taking a look at stepping back from the scale period and maybe not using it as a tool to indicate or dictate how you're doing with your nutrition and with your training. Because what we know now is that the number on the scale does not predict performance. Being lighter does not always lead to faster race times. Being lighter does not mean that you are having better quality performances, that your training is more effective, and especially a lower number on the scale doesn't necessarily mean that you're fueling properly. So using the scale as this kind of primary indicator of performance and a primary indicator of how you're doing with your training and and everything like that really, really doesn't add up. There are definitely times and places when runners are actually going to see a benefit in terms of their performance and their outcomes and, you know, possibly their body composition as well. More muscle, maybe a reduction in body fat percentage uh, from really moving away from the scale and having more of a performance focused approach to their nutrition instead. If you've worked with me uh, one-on-one or you've done my program, then you know that that checking your weight before and after something like a long run or a hard workout to look at hydration is something that I do find uh, the scale can be fairly helpful for, uh, really looking at hydration because that's where we're going to see those very uh, quick changes, you know, of course, day to day, but also within the few hours that you're doing that long run, we do see uh, some usefulness in terms of assessing hydration. It's not the be all end all, but to be honest, nothing is really the be all end all with any of this stuff. So if you've worked with me and, you know, you're like, but Steph, you know, I'm, I hurt, you know, you told me to be checking my weight um, to look at hydration and, and before and after those long runs. That is one place. But I definitely don't encourage and don't recommend daily weigh-ins or weight checks to be having that very small scale, very kind of detail-oriented approach to looking at weight as a whole. It's just not that valuable or that useful. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is why you might be seeing some weight gain as a runner. And I wanted to split this into two. We're going to talk about two different scenarios, why you might be seeing a small amount of weight gain. And I mean, you know, a couple of pounds, you know, here and there, either small fluctuations or a few pounds over the course of a few months. And then why you might be seeing maybe larger amounts of weight gain. And and I wanted to talk about them separately because for the most part, these are going to be different scenarios that lead to either of these. So the first one 
is why you might be gaining small amounts of weight. And like I said before, these small fluctuations, just a couple of pounds up and down that you're going to see, is more indicative of your hydration status, your muscle glycogen stores, um, especially for runners who are not fueling well and, and probably not hydrating well either. And this is something that I see more often than not with the clients that I'm working with, where they are currently under fueling, they're not eating a lot of carbohydrates, they're maybe doing a lot of fasted training, they're not hydrating before and during their runs very well. They're just there's just sort of a lack of, of strategy and a lack of a quality approach to their nutrition, which of course is why they're seeking out the help of a dietitian um, who specializes in working with runners like I do. And so by incorporating better, uh, more adequate hydration approaches, by increasing their fueling, getting them consuming more before, during, and after their runs, we would expect that there's going to be an increase in this muscle glycogen storage and this kind of just whole body hydration. And so if you're coming into a program really underfueled, maybe quite dehydrated a lot of the time, then absolutely we should see a small amount of weight gain, a few pounds we're going to put on kind of right in the beginning. And I'm not going to, I don't want to brush off this small amount of weight gain that somebody can see as being sort of this very easy, um, you know, mentally kind of easy thing to get accustomed to. It can psychologically feel feel like a lot of, of weight and it can feel very difficult to see your body change in a way that we are told is wrong or bad. And I've had clients who, you know, they know that they're struggling nutritionally. They know that their performance could be better, but they like looking a certain way and looking very lean and being able to maybe see a lot of muscle definition in their bodies and when it kind of comes to pass that, well, maybe that amount of leanness that we're striving for, that amount of leanness that someone is trying to maintain actually isn't adequate to support the training they're trying to do, it's a big mental adjustment to look different um, and, and maybe not look as quote unquote fit as you did before from incorporating more nutrition and more hydration into your plan. So even though it might just be a couple of pounds, I don't want to gloss over the fact that, yeah, there's definitely a mental shift and mental adjustment that might have to come along with that. But knowing that in the long run, fueling and hydrating yourself properly and fueling and hydrating yourself as best as you can is the absolute best way to have better performance, body fat percentage, and how lean someone appears does not predict how well you're actually going to perform when race day rolls around. Huge difference here when we're looking at endurance sports versus, of course, sports that are more aesthetic or looks based. And, you know, of course, like all things, you want to just be mindful of who you're maybe following online, where you're getting your information from, so that you're not being influenced in a way that is ultimately detrimental to your running performance. So that's the first thing. Of course, you know, you might be seeing a small amount of weight gain from just better hydration, better fueling. You also might see a small amount of weight gain over the course of a race training cycle if you've also started to incorporate more strength work along the way. We know that runners are notoriously not good at getting in their strength training. And so when you all of a sudden start on a, a more well-rounded program and you are doing not just tons and tons and tons of running, 
but also incorporating that quality strength work into your program, maybe pairing that up with a quality nutrition program and, and all of those things start to come together, then yes, we, we do want to be seeing some weight gain with that incorporation of some strength building exercises. If we're not really seeing any changes, you're doing your strength training, um, you know, you are working hard at building muscle and nothing is happening. It may be that you're losing body fat at the same rate that you're building muscle. So these things are happening kind of in tandem with each other. Therefore, the net result on the scale is is not seeing a change. That's one scenario. Uh, But for a lot of people, especially if we don't have a lot of excess body fat um, to, to lose in the first place, then by incorporating some strength work, yeah, you may see a few pounds of weight gain over the course of a few months which is completely fine and ultimately is going to give you a performance advantage. This is why, you know, we we say time and time again that just getting the number on the scale down as low as possible does not necessarily translate to better performance if along the way we're having to sacrifice or lose muscle in order to get the number down. So there's, there's, you know, a lot of things to navigate here when we're talking about weight versus body composition. Now to switch gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about why we might be seeing slightly larger amounts of weight gain. And so this is weight gain that probably isn't attributed to just, you know, better hydration, more adequate glycogen stores. Uh, gaining some strength, um, building some muscle, you know, we're we're talking about larger amounts of weight gain that ultimately are probably an increase in in body fat only because we only have uh, so much capacity to put on muscle glycogen and, and to hydrate well. And of course, it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work to build muscle. So we're not going to see very large amounts of weight gain in a, in a short period of time just from building strength for most people. Now, of course, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about genetics as we get closer to the end of this episode. And there are some people who have a propensity to gain uh, muscle much more easily than others do. And so, of course, we can't necessarily predict how much muscle somebody might put on in a period of time, especially if we're also incorporating some better nutrition and stuff like that along the way as well. Uh, but for the most part, we can assume that if someone's gaining a lot of weight in a short period of time, there's probably some body fat involved there as well. And the first reason that this might be happening is if someone is in a state of low energy availability, they might be burning fewer calories during a run or a workout than we might anticipate. Therefore, we're overestimating our calorie burn from running which can lead to a shift in that energy balance when we're looking at how much energy someone's consuming, uh, you know, at other times of day later in the day versus um, before and during their run. And I see this really, really frequently. Um, You may have even heard me talk about it in other podcast episodes. I talk about it a lot on my social media as well, is, you know, that runner who is under eating, all throughout the day, under eating uh, really constantly, breakfast is small or maybe non-existent, lunch is small or maybe non-existent, and then they're finding themselves really hungry later on in the day, very hungry late afternoon, dinner time into the evening, 
And we may find ourselves making less nutritious food choices during that time, either in terms of like quantity of food, like our portion sizes then become very large and and sort of outweigh that calorie burn that we might have had earlier in the day, or we're just the actual foods that we're eating are not necessarily great running fuel and maybe are just too much uh, higher calorie, like, um, you know, kind of processed foods or, or snack foods and stuff like that, that are again, shifting that balance. And a lot of this comes from, you know, a, a eat less, move more sort of mentality that, that we're just kind of fed constantly when it comes to weight loss and, and, you know, trying to lose weight. And then of course, what I sometimes call the running to eat mentality where people are going out and trying to burn as many calories as they can do as much running as they can so that they have a license to eat as much as they want or, or kind of, you know, eat as much as, as they can fit in later on. And this again, can be just a little bit problematic when we're looking at optimizing the quality of our fueling choices as a runner and really getting the best uh, quality nutrition we can. But then also when it comes to body composition, this is where people can also really struggle. You know, you're working super hard to run as much as you can, run as hard as you can, run as much volume as you can. And there's a little bit of, you know, okay, so then I have this sort of license to eat, but if we're eating maybe not great running fuel or we're just eating our calories at the wrong times of day, then we can start to see, um, you know, sometimes significant weight gain over time. And then the other reason that we might be seeing somewhat larger amounts of weight gain is maybe your body needed to gain weight. Maybe this is necessary. And like I said before, not all weight gain is inherently problematic. Not all weight gain is inherently detrimental to performance. And so we want to be really careful about not getting tied to that number on the scale so that we're not, uh, you know, maybe doing things that are ultimately harmful or detrimental to our performance, our ability to stay injury free and run stronger because we're so worried or focused on what that number is telling us. And, and I'll see this sometimes with clients who have maybe a quite low body weight. Maybe they have a, a low, quite low BMI coming into working with me. BMI is, is their body mass index. Of course, we know that that is not in and of itself predictive of health status. Um, but if somebody is really on the lower end of that, that scale, their body weight is quite low. Maybe they would be classified as being underweight. Now we have a better nutrition strategy. We're fueling properly for the running that they're doing. When we were incorporating some strength training in to try and build some muscle as well, uh, gaining weight might be a result. And that may be what that person's body needed in order to start functioning optimally. If someone has low energy availability or what we call relative energy deficiency in sport, they may have a low body weight, but not always. That's not necessarily the case. We see low energy availability in a wide variety of uh, people who have different body shapes and sizes. But sometimes what we what we would sort of think of maybe as, as the classic presentation of something like low energy availability would be somebody who's kind of coming in that is underweight. And so by increasing their food intake, getting more calories into them, we then get better quality training out the other side. And of course, maybe some weight gain is part of that. 
And this is again, why we really, really want to be performance focused and not scale focused, because I don't want someone to essentially run the other direction when they start to see the number on the scale go up, despite having great outcomes from the training and from that better nutrition plan. We don't want the number on the scale to stop us from doing the things we need to do to be our healthiest and best performing selves. So I spoke about why we see small amounts and large amounts of weight gain, um, depending on what might be happening with our running, with our fueling choices, kind of going into a program, going into a training cycle, and how that combination of, you know, where we're coming from with both of those things, where we're coming from with our strength training can really impact the outcome that we see. And so the next thing I want to talk about is why some runners have such vastly different experiences when it comes to their weight and running. Because, you know, we talked about why somebody might see some weight gain, but one of the questions that you you may have now is, well, why do some people not see this though? Like why, why do some people not gain weight when they increase their volume or they take up running for the first time? One of the reasons, of course, is genetics. There's a genetic component to so many different things. And especially when we talk about weight, body composition, how we respond to exercise and different types of exercise and and things like that, there are a few key genetic factors that can really play a role. So some people, when they increase their physical activity, so when they do more exercise, they actually see an enhanced or accelerated weight loss or fat loss uh, result as a response to that. So if you imagine that, you know, we've got a hundred people who have all, are all maybe doing limited exercise, like they're, they're not very active people. They're all taking up running for the first time. And these hundred people all go on the same running program. Some of the people in that group are going to see more fat loss than others. They're all doing the same exercise program, but they're going to see more weight loss from that, more fat loss from that. This just boils down to their genetics. We could even be feeding people, all of these people the exact same, like they could be on the same nutrition and exercise program. We're going to see varying results. And this is why we always say what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. Everyone needs a personalized approach and strategy because these things like genetics can play a really big role in what makes the most sense for one runner versus another. Now, if you are someone who does not possess that accelerated fat loss response from exercise, I don't want that to discourage you from running, from doing the activity that you love. I do not have that gene. I am not someone who who possesses that either. And, And the majority of people don't, to be honest. But instead, what we want to think about is how can we work with our genetics in order to optimize the results we get as runners. And this really boils down to, you know, understanding how our bodies function, how our bodies work, and making sure that we aren't maybe overdoing it when it comes to the psychology of eating and, and, you know, how that comes together with what's happening physiologically in our bodies. On the topic of genetics, we also have genetics around how we build muscle. 
And of course, how we respond to building cardiovascular endurance as well. But if we're talking about weight and body composition, something that's going to have a bigger impact for some people will be how we develop those fast twitch muscle fibers. Those are the muscle fibers that we build when we're doing strength training, especially very like fast or explosive movements. Some people have a much easier time building these fast twitch muscle fibers compared to others. And so if we're looking at how much weight or how quickly someone might gain weight, specifically muscle, compared to someone else, then this is again where we can see a difference and a shift. The thing is, though, when you step on the scale, like when you just get on your bathroom scale, we have no idea how much of that weight is fat and how much of that weight is muscle. And this is why I don't want people to be really focusing on that number on a day-by-day or even a week-to-week basis, because if you're doing all the, what I'll call the right things with your training and with your eating, and and you're really focused on that quality programming, then you are going to maybe get on the scale and feel really disappointed. But the fact of the matter might be that you're just building muscle a little bit more quickly than other people are. And I don't want that to discourage someone. And again, maybe scare someone away from continuing to do all of those great things to support performance. The second reason why runners can have really different experiences when it comes to training volumes and weight and and how it all plays out also comes down to that psychology of eating behaviors. You know, of course, there's a lot of physiology involved in eating behaviors. We have hormones that influence hunger and appetite. We have genetics that play a role in how we, um, you know, experience different foods and, and the taste and the perception of different foods. There's a lot that goes into it. But of course, on the other side, we have the psychology of eating. This is something that is definitely perpetuated, I find, a lot in, you know, the social media running community sometimes where it's this this eat to run mentality, right? The post long run eating talking about how how hungry someone might be after a long run, um, eating like these 3,000 calorie dinners after a long run, and, and sort of having this license to eat as much as we can possibly get our hands on or using running as a way to create the biggest calorie deficit possible so that we can eat with abandon and, and you know not really have to think about nutrition or worry about the quality of the food that we're choosing. And I mean, I will be the first to say that there's a time and a place for fun foods. I mean, you all know that pizza and ice cream and, and, you know, I, I really enjoy my treats and my fun foods as much as, as the next person, as much as everyone else does. But we want to be thinking about going into our runs well-fueled compared to eating all the calories that we can get our hands on afterwards and maybe making choices that aren't necessarily conducive to better running performance. And so, you know, for example, we, we see a lot of runners who eat minimal food, you know, before or during a long run, maybe they're, they're fasted or they're just having like a teeny, a little something before they go on a long run, bringing either none or minimal fuel during that long run so that they can eat the entire house afterwards or the next day. And this can be intentional, right? Like someone is trying to have this big calorie deficit, trying to create this big calorie deficit. So they have a license to do that. Or it may just be that they have not really 
learned or, or sort of been educated on proper fueling strategies around long run nutrition. And they think that this is just normal, a normal part of eating as a runner, just a normal part of long run eating. And so then they're finding themselves ravenous later on, or even the next day after a long run. And they're confused as to why they can be doing so much running and then aren't seeing weight loss. And, you know, something isn't adding up here. The fix for this though, what we want to really be doing is going into that run as well-fueled as possible, right? This starts with the day before the long run, right? Especially the the evening before the dinner, the night before your long run, you know, assuming you're doing your long run in the morning, like a lot of people do, having that long run um, dinner the night before be very carbohydrate focused, making sure that we're getting in as much muscle glycogen as we can, having that good sized pre-run breakfast, bringing fuel with us, um, you know, making sure we're getting in enough fuel for during so we can have the best quality long run possible. Therefore, we will also have better, faster recovery. And then we have a little bit better in um, appetite control later on because we didn't just totally run ourselves right out of gas during that long run. So by incorporating a better fueling strategy around the long run, we can really curb some of the excessive appetite that we might be experiencing. And also it allows us to just make, you know, slightly better quality food choices. Now, there always needs to be, and and this is true in your off season, in your base building season, in your race training season, there is always a time and a place for fun foods. There's always a time and a place for treats. There's always a time and a place for flexibility with your eating. And again, if you're finding yourself becoming the type of runner who only lets themselves have certain types of foods when you've done a certain mileage, right? You're you're needing to earn your food. You're needing to run at least a certain amount of mileage over the course of a week or over the course of a day to be able to have certain things in your diet. That's really something that is worth taking a closer look at and something that's really worth working on in terms of your relationship with food and training because we don't want to be thinking about running as a way to be able to earn our food or to be trying to eat or run in order to allow ourselves to eat. There should always be space for a positive food relationship, always space for fun and and treats and things like that, regardless of the amount of mileage you're running. Because in the long run, quote unquote, or, um, no pun intended, this is what's going to allow us to just have more consistency with the quality of our eating and, of course, the quality of our training. So the, that's something that if, you know, this has been a problem for you, if you're kind of recognizing maybe some of, of these thoughts um, as you're listening to this episode, then it's definitely worth, you know, looking at in a little bit more detail. The other thing that we want to be doing here and and the other reason that runners can have such different experiences when it comes to running in weight is, of course, when we look at those specific food choices. And this comes down to, are we choosing to fuel our bodies for the most part with satisfying foods and filling foods that provide the fuel and the nutrients we need for training and recovery? And I'll, I'll give an example of a client that I worked with um, a few years ago, and this story probably resonates with a lot of other people that I've worked with, but I just specifically remember this example uh, when I was when I was getting ready to record this episode. He was kind of a typical 
uh, typical runner who would go out first thing in the morning, very early in the day, try, always fasted. Uh, I don't even think he would drink any water. Very sensitive uh, stomach that this particular runner had. Wouldn't even drink any water before he would go for his run. So he'd head out the door. He'd have nothing in his system. He'd bring nothing with him. He would get back, get right into his work day. Um, maybe, maybe there would be a small small post-run breakfast involved or, or maybe a little bit of fuel, but, but not a lot, you know, considering he was doing all that fasted training, but then come, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, he was finding himself digging into all of his kids' snacks in the house. So it was whatever he could get his hands on, um, you know, whether it was cookies or, or, you know, whatever snack foods they had in the house for the kids. And then also finding himself again, kind of super hungry in the evening. So having that that dinner meal, and then it was into the evening again, just just not being able to stay out of the kitchen. And so instead, you know, what made a really really big difference in this scenario was to start practicing a better fueling strategy before the run, hydrating, of course, and and just shifting those calories to earlier in the day, having something to eat before leaving the house in the morning bringing fuel if it was going to be a longer run, having that high protein breakfast afterwards, then what we were able to do is really minimize the extra snacking that was happening in the afternoons and the evenings. Of course, we're not completely eliminating any fun foods or treat foods, but we're just kind of making a time and a place for those as a treat. And of course, you know, as a family as well, because I think that's part of part of the fun of fun foods is also who you are sharing the fun foods and the experience with. And this allowed this runner to have, you know, a much easier time making it through the rest of the day with just kind of even sustained energy levels, feeling much more full and satisfied and far less out of control around food. So when we look at these these different experiences, you know, definitely genetics can play a part. The psychology of eating can play a part too. And like I said, social media uh, doesn't always help with that sort of mentality, doesn't always help kind of, you know, breed that positive and uh, healthy food and exercise relationship. But then also, you know, if we really zero in on the specific food choices that we're making, we're focusing on getting enough protein in our diet, we're focusing on getting enough fiber in our diet. Now it makes it so much easier to just not be at the mercy of of some of these uh, different foods that are not going to give us the quality nutrition that we need to perform well and get the results that we're looking for. So at the at the end of the day, you know, kind of the bottom line here as we wrap up today's episode is that there's a lot of different reasons that you might notice some fluctuations on the scale when you take up running for the first time, or if you're entering a race training cycle. Not all weight gain is inherently problematic. Not all weight gain is inherently bad or excessive or anything like that. And we don't want to be kind of living and dying by the number on the scale because it doesn't necessarily help us to be super hyper-focused day to day or maybe multiple times throughout the day to be hyper-focused on what's happening there. The uh, instance where weight can be valuable and, and can tell us some good information would be specifically around hydration, telling us how much sweat we've lost during a run. Um, but weight fluctuations, weighing ourselves you know, on that really frequent basis, isn't giving us any information about body composition changes in the short term. 
But if as you're going through a race training cycle, you are seeing a big noticeable difference in the scale, you know, maybe you are weighing yourself, um, you know, every couple of weeks or once a month and you're seeing a, a big difference or you're seeing a really big difference in how your clothes fit or, or anything like that, or you're just frustrated with feeling like you're putting in a lot of work, but not necessarily seeing the results and the changes that you're looking for, um, it might be worth taking a look at what's happening behind the scenes with your approach to eating, maybe your relationship with food, how you're planning your meals throughout the day, how you're approaching your nutrition on the weekends, those long run days, and you know, just, just trying to figure out what might be going on there. If you're looking for help with this, if this is something that you're still feeling confused by for yourself personally, maybe you've uh, definitely got some good tips from this episode. I really hope that you did get some good tips from this episode, uh, you know, got a little bit of a framework to kind of start thinking about some things for yourself, how you might want to approach um, your weight and uh, questions around body composition and putting all of these pieces together, but you feel like you need more and you need a little bit more expert guidance and to really be able to have a place that you can answer questions and, and get those personalized solutions, then I highly, highly recommend reaching out to an expert, reaching out to someone that can help you in that reliable way. I would love to be the one who helps you. I think that all runners should be working with a performance dietitian, working with someone on their eating strategies, and of course, getting some expert coaching as well along the way with their running. I think that's beneficial for all runners, whether you're just getting started or you're super experienced, but maybe have never worked with someone before. I am, of course, a huge advocate of, you know, just getting some expert advice to make sure that you're on the right track with the goals that you have for yourself. So I would love for you to work with someone. I would, you know, of course, love for that person to be me. I have both the expertise when it comes to the nutrition for runners as a registered dietitian, also as a certified running coach. I would love to help you out. And there are two ways that we can work together. I work with clients both one-on-one. -on -one. I offer nutrition and run coaching as a one-on-one -on -one service to private clients. I just take a small number of these clients each month. So I usually just have a couple of spaces available. And of course, you can find out more about that by visiting my website. That's www.stephanienatchik.com. I also have my online program called the Fuel Train Recover Club. This program is an all-inclusive nutrition and training online program. You get access to online modules. We have an app that's really cool. You can download the app and you can kind of learn on the go and, and use some videos like the strength training videos, um, you know, in the gym, on your phone, you can follow along with those workouts. And of course, you also have tons of access to help from me. So we have opportunities every week for you to hop on a Zoom call, ask your questions, send in emails, and get my feedback along the way. So it's not just online modules that you have to kind of work through on your own. And, you know, if you have questions, there's like no one to ask and you're sort of, you know, just, just left to your own devices to sort of figure it all out and put the pieces together. But we have the online education for you to be able to learn all the important stuff about nutrition and training your body to become the best runner you can be. Whether you're a brand new runner or someone who's been running for decades, there is plenty that you can learn from joining in the Fuel Train Recover Club. 
And of course, you have tons of access to my help and support along the way. So you can learn more as well about the Fuel Train Recover Club and of course, the one-on-one coaching options by visiting my website. That's www.stephanienachek.com. Of course, the link to that will be in the show notes. So that is it for today's episode. I do hope that you found it helpful to understand weight gain and running, why runners have such different experiences with their weight gain, what can be contributing to weight gain that you might be seeing, and you know when weight gain is really not something that we need to be concerned about and is a super normal part of the process of becoming the best runner that you can be. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I really appreciate you being here and listening to this episode, and we will see you next week. Bye for now. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.